Section 81 of the Catholic's Ready Answer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kylie. The Catholic's Ready Answer by Rev. M. P. Hill. Section 81, Saints. Objections. The Catholic veneration of saints detracts much from the purity of divine worship, which should be concerned with God alone. The intercession of saints is a doctrine opposed to Scripture, for Christ alone is our advocate and mediator, and Scripture nowhere tells us that the dead can hear our prayers. The Answer Veneration of Saints Why do we venerate the saints? We venerate the saints first because we admire their marvelous virtues and gifts of grace. An admiration of what is good and great is an instinct implanted in every child of Adam. It would be difficult, even if it were desirable, to rid the heart of this natural disposition, and no less difficult would it be, without unnatural violence, to banish the expression of that feeling from the public services of the church. God himself has so intimately associated holy men and women with himself in the work of man's salvation that it is impossible to celebrate the great mysteries of the Christian religion without giving due recognition to the human instruments which God deemed to employ in the regeneration of mankind. Hence, from the very beginning, Christians paid fitting honor to the saints of the new dispensation. The Roman catacombs, those underground places of refuge of the early Christians, exhibit on their walls, even to this day, representations not only of our blessed Redeemer, but also of his mother and the apostles, and the fact supplies clear evidence of the way in which the thought of those holy persons mingled with the devotion felt for the person of our Redeemer himself. Objection. But Catholics kneel to the saints and ask them to help them. In fact, their devotion to the saints bears all the marks of divine worship. Reply. Catholics venerate the saints, but do not worship them. The word worship, as used today, has been narrowed down to meaning the supreme homage paid to God alone. Such supreme homage we Catholics do not pay to the saints, and this every Catholic child knows from his catechism. If we kneel to the saints, it is because kneeling is one of the natural attitudes of earnest petition and of reverence, and because in praying to the saints we are praying to God through the saints. In days of yore, a dutiful child would fall upon his knees to ask for his parents' blessing. If we ask the help of the saints, we ask for only such help as they can give us by interceding for us. They are humble petitioners like ourselves, only more powerful ones. In the second place, we honor the saints because God himself has lavished his honors upon them. Even in this life, he has put upon them the seal of his love and benediction and held them up for the admiration of mankind. But still greater are the honors conferred upon them in heaven. Readers of the Apocalypse 
know the sublime heights to which he has raised his servants. The four and twenty ancients represents the host of the elect, are not only raised to an equality with the angels, but occupy thrones near to and encircling the throne of the Most High. The apostles are on the last day to be associated with Christ himself as the judges of the world. Quote, when the Son of Man shall sit on the seat of his majesty, you also shall sit on twelve seats judging the twelve tribes of Israel. End quote. Can it be surprising, then, if the honors bestowed upon the saints in the other life are in some degree reflected in the ritual and the devotion of God's church on earth? Finally, Catholic veneration of the saints is inspired by a love of holiness and implicitly of the holiness of God himself. Why do we praise and admire the saints? Evidently because of their holiness. Our praise of the saints is a tribute to holiness, and no one can sincerely pronounce a panegyric on a saint without thereby manifesting his love of holiness, and implicitly his love of him who is holiness itself. And we may add that if our veneration of the saints has for its inspiring motive a love of holiness, our devotion to the saints results in an increase of holiness in ourselves. Our opponents can never realize to the full what they have lost by relegating the saints to the position which they occupy in the doctrine and the formularies of Protestantism. Objection. But really, the veneration of the saints seems to be allotted to a disproportionate share in the devotion of Catholics. To a Protestant, it seems to obtrude itself everywhere into religious services. It surely must lessen the honor paid to God. Reply. We are not surprised at the objection. Protestants have generally only a very meager knowledge of Catholic doctrine and practice and their knowledge is mostly of what seems to them to be objectionable features of Catholicism. They know little of the actual proportions observed in Catholic devotion, being unable, of course, to view the Church from within. To borrow a comparison from Cardinal Wiseman, they are like persons who view from the street, and in the daytime the stained-glass windows of a church are consequently unable to make out the meaning or judge of the merits of the pictures. In the first place, even if devotion to the saints were more common than it is, the considerations we have already placed before the reader ought to convince him that the result of such devotion to the saints would be an increased fervor in the service of God. But if our separated brethren desire a more decisive proof, that devotion to the saints does not overshadow the direct worship of God in the Catholic Church, we would call his attention to the fact that no other Christian denomination can bear any comparison with the Catholic Church in its public celebration of the essential mysteries of religion and in its direct worship of the Supreme Lord of heaven and earth. The solemnities connected with Easter, Holy Week, and Christmas Corpus Christi and the Forty Hours Devotion may be cited as instances. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, which is the sacrifice of the cross daily renewed and offered to God by His Divine Son, 
is the very core and center of religious life in the Catholic Church. It is in the Catholic Church that Lent and Advent have a meaning, and each is a preparation for one of the two great feasts of our Lord. On Sunday, which is the Lord's Day, par excellence, Catholic churches are the only ones filled with worshippers, and that is not only once in the course of the day, but many times, from five or six o'clock in the morning to midday. In a word, devotion to the saints pales before the worship of God. What we have said thus far goes to show that devotion to the saints is not unreasonable in principle, and that it has no harmful but rather positively good results. But what if it should prove useless? Is there any proof that the saints know that we are praying to them? Or that if they do know it and present our petitions to God, their prayers are heard? Anyone who should put this question might be asked in turn, do you believe that the saints are in heaven? The saints are, of course, in heaven and enjoy there the same beatific vision as the angels. Moreover, their state is likely to that of the angels. Quote, they are as the angels in heaven. End quote. Mark 12.25 The visions of the apocalypse represent angels and saints as forming one heavenly community. Now, as regards the knowledge possessed by the heavenly choirs of the events of this earth, we have but to recall the words of our Lord describing the joy that thrills the host of the blessed at the sight of repentance for sin. Quote, I say to you that even so there shall be joy in heaven upon one sinner that doth penance. End quote. Luke 15, 7. Joy at the sight of repentance supposes a knowledge of the repentance. Therefore, the inhabitants of heaven are not ignorant of the happenings of earth. And surely, if there is anything they are likely to know about us, it is the fact that we are imploring their intercession with God. The angels who, as we have said, form one heavenly assembly with the saints, are deeply interested in the affairs of mortal men. Quote, are they not, asks St. Paul, all ministering spirits sent to minister for them who shall receive the inheritance of salvation? End quote. Hebrews 1.14 And they are represented by the sacred writers as offering the prayers of men before the throne of God. Of this, the angel Raphael gave Tobias assurance when he told him, quote, when thou didst pray with tears, and didst bury the dead, and didst leave thy dinner, and hide the dead by day in thy house, and bury them by night, I offered thy prayer to the Lord. End quote. Tobias 12.12 12. In the Apocalypse 13.3, an angel is described as offering the prayers of the faithful of God's church to the Almighty under the symbol of the smoke of incense rising out of a golden censer. It is inconceivable that the saints, who enjoy the same glory and the same divine favor as the angels, should not join with the angels in their acts of mediation between God and men. The Veneration of Relics Once the true idea of devotion to the saints is grasped, it should be easy to understand 
a Catholic's behavior with regard to sacred relics. If we love and venerate the saints, we cannot help feeling our devotion moved at the sight of objects once in close relation with them. The feeling is born of an instinct implanted in every human heart. It is essentially the same feeling as is awakened by the presence of an object once belonging to a dear departed friend. It is the same feeling as our fellow citizens here in America experience in regards to those numerous, though in themselves trivial, objects which are so carefully guarded in our museums and to which so many pilgrimages have been made solely because of the association of those objects with the lives and deeds of the fathers of our republic. These things are not cherished and venerated for their own sakes, but for the sake of those whose memories is, on its own, dear to us. Many of our readers will easily recall the veneration shown to our famous Liberty Bell in various triumphal progresses in different sections of the country. They will remember with what eagerness the people flocked to see it, and how they actually touched it with coins or other objects to be handed down to their children. Why this veneration for an old bell? The bell is venerated because it is the bell that rang out the news of a heroic deed performed by those who are venerated as the founders of our liberties. And may not Christians venerate the remains of those whose deeds in the service of their maker were no less heroic? May they not pay special honor to human bodies which were once the temples of the Holy Ghost? Is there any essential difference between the veneration paid to civic relics and that shown to the relics of God's saints? Yes, it may be objected there is an essential difference between the two. You attribute a supernatural power to the relics of saints. You pretend that they can heal the sick, and that by burning lights before them you can obtain special graces. Now, in the first place, there is no general attributing of miraculous power to the relics of the saints. If miracles are ever wrought by their relics, it is a thing of exceedingly rare occurrence, and Catholics rarely give a thought to the matter. Thousands of sacred relics are preserved in Catholic churches from the single motive of honoring those who are so dear to God. Undoubtedly, wonders have sometimes been wrought by relics of saints, but as touching these events, the objection we are considering is based on a very serious misconception of Catholic belief in this matter. No Catholic is foolish enough to think that a fragment of bone or a shred of a garment has any miraculous virtue in itself. If the devotion paid to such objects is ever the occasion of any supernatural effect, the effect is produced by the power of God who wishes to honor his saints by bestowing favors on those who honor their remains. It must surely be pleasing to God to see his children pay honor to those bodies which once enshrined so much holiness. The Old Testament furnishes a remarkable example of a miracle wrought by the body of a saint, without any thought or expectation of such a wonder on the part of those concerned. After the death of the prophet Eliseus, and when the Moabites were making an incursion into the land, the mourners at the funeral of a dead man, perceiving 
the Moabites approach hurriedly threw the corpse into the tomb of the prophet. Quote, and when it had touched the bones of Eliseus, the man came to life and stood upon his feet. End quote. 4 Kings 8.21 What God did to testify his love for Eliseus, he can do in the case of other saints. Indeed, it is only natural to suppose that under the Christian dispensation, such divine testimony in favor of his saints should be more frequent than under the old law. And yet, the common Protestant idea is that since the coming of Christ, the heavens have been closed and God's favors are no longer showered down with the same profusion as of old. That there was indeed an outpouring of miraculous favors from the person of Christ. And through the agency of the apostles, and then it suddenly ceased. This idea, strange enough in itself, is at variance with the experience, and that persuasion of Christians, East and West, everywhere except where Protestantism holds sway, for we are certain that in all ages of the Church, the wisest and best of her children have borne testimony, not only to the general veneration of relics, but also to the common persuasion of Christians, that God is wont to work wonders through the medium of such objects. The dialogues of St. Gregory the Great, a pontiff to whom the majority of English-speaking people owe their Christian faith, testified to many such instances of supernatural favors. Similar testimony is rendered by many of the fathers, Leibniz, the illustratus German philosopher, after citing Protestant, though he was numerous authorities of the early church in favor of the veneration of the saints, adds the following short comment, quote, It is not necessary to add much on the subject of relics. From the example of the bones of Eliseus, it is certain that God has performed miracles through their instrumentality. End quote. System of Theology, page 88. As to the images and pictures of the saints by which Catholic churches are adorned, their presence there is no less rational and conducive to devotion than the veneration felt for the saints themselves. Protestant opposition to them would have been intelligible under the old law, when there was such extreme danger of infection by idolatry from contact with idolaters. But today, the all-pervading influence of idolatry is a thing of the past, nor has the Church of God at any period of its existence thought that prohibition of images under the old dispensation had any application to the use of images of Christ and his saints under the new. That the first Christians were familiar with such representations of holy persons in their churches is plain from the testimony of the catacombs, which may be seen by any visitor to the Eternal City. On the walls of those underground chambers, once used both as cemeteries and as churches, are plainly to be seen pictures representing our Lord, His Mother, the Apostles, and the Saints of the Old Testament. In other words, the churches of those who were taught by the Apostles or their immediate successors were, in this respect, 
exactly similar to Catholic churches of the present day. Are Catholic churches the less Christian for resembling the churches of the first Christians? Even under the old law, although it was said, quote, Thou shalt not make thyself a graven thing, end quote, the prohibition was primarily directed against idolatry, hence was added, quote, Thou shalt not adore them nor serve them. End quote. The exclusion of idolatry was the one object of the ordinance, and where there was no danger of idolatry, to wit, in the Holy of Holies, which was completely hidden from the multitude. There were images of the cherubim placed over the Ark of the Covenant. Today, in the full exercise of the freedom of the children of God, we can adorn the new Ark of the Covenant not only with images of the angels, but also with pictures and images of those who are no less dear to God. End of chapter 81. Recorded by Kylie.